Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Playoff Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer here with JJ Cooper to break down the Cardinals-Dodgers thrilling wildcard matchup last night. JJ, first and foremost, did you stay up for the end of that one? Yes, I did. Um, now, I will admit I fell asleep so quickly afterwards that when I woke up, I realized that I had not turned off. I was watching it actually on YouTube TV, but on my computer and uh and i and i realized oh that's still running there's no sound but the, the video was still running when i woke up i think it was a family matters uh episode or something when i woke up this morning to turn it off but did make it through the end of it um as an east coaster that uh tj mcfarland were back from the for the start of the inning oh by the way there's a pitching change we're gonna go to a commercial now again made me want to throw something but probably the anger from that help fuel me being awake for the very end of that game. And I was not up for two minutes after it was over. I was lights out, walk off. Okay. I'm done. Good night. Yeah. Obviously was, you were there. So what was it like to be there? Yeah, it was certainly an exciting game all the way around. Just so many tense moments, four hours and 15 minutes of nonstop drama. The Cardinals had a lot of chances to go ahead and take the lead. The Cardinals were 0-11 with runners in scoring position the Dodgers had a lot of hard hit balls that were snagged by a Cardinals defender. The line drive, Paul DeYoung jumped up to get to end the eighth inning. Two hard drives to lead off the ninth. There were so many other plays, so many moments where the game could have turned. And just a dramatic finish all the way around. And it was it was great. You know, sold out crowd. Dodgers Stadium was rocking as it always is. And uh, just a great, great, exciting game all around. And one of those I felt very, very fortunate to be at to cover live. It, it was uh, it's a game that was great to not be have a rooting interest in because it was so tense, but I was able to just enjoy it. But the other thing that just stood out about that game last night to me was for a, a game that had great pitching. This was a low-scoring game, but I felt like there were a lot of great at-bats too. Uh, Max Scherzer, I don't feel like his command was really off. He was missing – by the narrowest of margins, and they were balls. Like he had a lot of big, deep counts where he would throw a pitch and Will Smith would do everything to frame it, but Joe West was in fine form and was calling it a ball. But it was also, a lot of times it was like, wow, that was a really good take. How did you take that pitch in that situation? There were a lot of, for both teams, I felt like a lot of really good takes, a lot of grinded out at bats that just were examples of hitters hitting is hard, but the way that you can best do what you can do as a hitter is having that plate discipline, having that awareness of, no, 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 that pitch is just off the plate. It's not a pitch I can do anything with. I felt like that that happened a lot last night. Yeah, there were certainly some good takes. One of the things that if you're the Dodgers, you do take away from this and the last couple starts that you feel pretty good about is, you're winning games even when Max Scherzer is not being Max Scherzer. One of the things that I think has gotten lost maybe a little bit is he was so good for so many starts after the Dodgers acquired him, those first eight starts in particular. He actually started to struggle there at the very end of the season. His final two starts of the year, he allowed 17 hits and 10 earned runs in 10 and a third innings, put the Dodgers in a hole both games. Now they came back and 
won both games. They came from behind, rallied, and won. And then we saw it again last night. Obviously, he didn't give, give up many runs, but only got through four and a third, walked three, threw a wild pitch that let a run come home, hit Harrison Bader with a curveball. Just the control wasn't there, particularly on the secondary stuff. And it was interesting, the day before the wild card game, Scherzer actually had highlighted his control as the root of the problem in those final two starts at the end of the season. Just, you know, said I wasn't located with all my pitches. When I'm off with a couple pitches, just opens up holes in my game to where I make mistakes and they get burnt. And I, I do think that if you're the Dodgers, it's certainly a situation where, hey, you really, really, really want Max Scherzer to be in peak Max Scherzer form right now. But I think it's still encouraging that this is now three consecutive starts where he has not been and they still won the game. The other thing that stood out this to me is, is I saw some lamenting about how pitchers these days just can't do what they used to do. You had these pitchers who the Scherzer's getting pulled. He doesn't even make it through five. Is that an ace? Da, 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 da. Well, when we go back to grinding out at bats, the thing that stood out about last night for Wainwright and Scherzer is both of them faced 21 batters last night, which obviously if you hearken back to the days that, it often gets brought up. Jack Morris, 10 innings in a game seven to win the World Series. 21 batters, 95 pitches, 94 pitches for the two respective pitchers last night. I think Scherzer had the 95, Wainwright the 94, if I'm right. Maybe I may flip that. That's 4.5 pitches per batter. If you go back to the gold standard of how pitchers used to be, 10 inning complete game, game seven of the World Series, Jack Morris threw 126 pitchers to face 38 batters over 10 innings. So that's 3.3 pitches per batter. When we also wonder why these games take four hours and 15 minutes, part of it is every time you add a pitch to every single at-bat of the game, you're adding significant time. It's not just commercial breaks. It's not just pauses between pitches. But the other aspect of this is in the postseason, when you see teams, when you see hitters grinding out at bats like this, it takes a long time. And that was an example of it last night. I did feel like, I don't know about you, but I did feel like though when we, when the two teams had to go to the pens, that's where the advantage shifted more to the Dodgers to me. It did. The Dodgers bullpen has been lights out this year and Kenley Jansen in particular has been excellent recently. Uh, we saw him last night and even though he was still, you know, in that 92, 93 range, I mean, he was locating, there's a little bit of late life to it. Everything looked great. Um, when he struck out Tyler O'Neill to end the top of the ninth, Dodger stadium absolutely exploded. It was one of the loudest crowd reactions I've heard all year in any ballpark. And it's just good to see him him back in prime form. In terms of the starting pitchers, you know, it's funny you bring up Jack Morris. It's really, really simple. Jack Morris pitched really, really, really well that game. Max Scherzer was not pitching very well last night. Dave Roberts was absolutely right to go out and get him when he did. And by the way, Mike Schultz as well was right to go out and get Adam Wainwright when he did. When you look at the situation, Justin Turner had scalded two balls off of Wainwright the comebacker in the first inning that Wainwright snagged. Really, really impressive reflexes for anyone, but especially a 40-year-old. And then took him deep to left field in the second at bat. Uh, given the situation of the game, given that moment, Schultz was absolutely right. This was a game that neither manager made any boneheaded moves at any point. Again, just a really tight, tense game. And ultimately, it, to me, it really just came down to the Cardinals didn't get the big hit. As I wrote in my story, they were 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. They stranded a runner on base in every inning. Uh, they had multiple chances to take the lead. Their one run was the leadoff batter of the game. Tommy Edmond flared single, stole second, moved to third on that flyout, came home. They didn't score the rest of the ball game. It's really, really, really tough to win when you only score one run, and especially yep. on the road against a 106-win team. And give the Dodgers bullpen credit. Uh, and also give Scherzer some credit for kind of ducking and weaving and bobbing his way out of trouble a few times all around. Just just a great game. And I don't think there's any blame to put on anyone here. And the Cardinals did a lot of things well. They pitched really well. They played great defense. They had good at bats. They just couldn't get that timely hit. And eventually, against the Dodgers especially, if you don't take advantage of your opportunities, it's going to come back to bite you. And eventually, Chris Taylor made sure it did. Also, no offense, Cardinals fans. This is the outcome 
that if you're just a fan of baseball, I think that most people wanted to see because ideally you want, if you just want to see great baseball, this upcoming division series now is about as good as it gets, or it should be. I mean, the games could be clunkers. We don't know. But as far as two teams facing off that you want to see best against best, who not only that, but division rivals who know each other really, really well, it doesn't get better than what that Dodgers win sets up. First time ever the Dodgers and Giants are facing each other in the postseason. Now, everyone say, wait, Bobby Thompson, again, that was those were tiebreaker games. That was not actually a postseason game. I think the only regret is you kind of wish it was in the NLCS as opposed to the NLDS. You give these teams seven games, winner goes to the World Series. That would make it a little bit richer. Uh, but this is going to be an exciting series. Uh, the Giants won the season series 10 to 9. It was very, very close all the way through. But these teams also haven't faced each other in a while. It's going to be a great, great series, an exciting series. And yeah, one I think everyone, like you said, if you're a fan of baseball, you were looking forward to the two best teams going at it in the postseason. Oh, by the way, have a rivalry that stretches back decades and has a lot of animosity to it. I know that there's always been a lot of focus on Red Sox, Yankees, and part of that is they continually have played each other in the postseason. Back-to-back ALCSs, 0304, going back to 99. They face each other this year, 2018. So there's a little more drama and October juice to it. But the Dodgers-Giants, just in the context of this year, given what these two teams were, yeah, this is the matchup everyone wanted to see and, and a, a worthy matchup. I think it's it's going to be, it should be exciting. Right? It could be three clunkers. This is the matchup everyone wanted to see. And now, uh, but, you know, we also have to look ahead to, we have tomorrow's insane postseason day. Tomorrow's crazy day where we have four. But today, to have two wild, you know, two AL division series games that we have, both of which, I love this. I love the postseason normally, baseball fan. But I just feel like this year, I'm more excited about some of these matchups than I would be in a normal year. There are often are uh, there's one or two series where you go, okay, I think I'm pretty confident. I know who's going to win that. One of these teams isn't all that exciting. I don't feel like that. I look at White Sox, Astros, Red Sox, Rays. Sign me up. I do think the Rays are a better team than the Red Sox, but sign me up for these series. And I think Giants-Dodgers is the best series of all of these. And then come Friday, we also get Braves Brewers is also great. This is, I am very hyped about now we get into the meat of the postseason schedule. Yeah, I talked about it on our postseason preview podcast. I feel like this is the parody postseason where there's so many teams that can come out of this. There's not really a, a clear-cut favorite. You had mentioned your pick to win the American League pennant was the Rays. I do want to ask, who do you got in this Houston-Chicago series? Ooh, I do think Houston. I think that the White Sox have I – I do think a lot of their slump at the end, you know, they didn't play as – I feel like they played some of their best baseball earlier in the season, but there's an understandable letdown when you kind of have the division wrapped up like they do. They have gotten some guys healthy. That said, I also think there is an advantage when you have a Houston team that this is just normal for them at this point. I don't think that experience always trumps talent, but I think that Houston is every bit as talented as the White Sox, one through 26. On top of that, you add to that that this is a Houston team that has so many players who've been here so many times, and there is not going to be any moment in this that they haven't probably experienced something like it before. You add in that this doesn't necessarily guarantee this is going to be the last run for these guys, but you do. You're seeing the steady erosion of the core of that Astros team that has had so much postseason success. We now have Carlos Correa this year. Is this going to be, you know, his last series with Houston? So I, I put it all together. I, I'm going to say Astros, but what, what do you think? Well, I picked the White Sox before the season to reach the World Series, and I feel like I kind of have to stick with it. I will say if I didn't have that consideration, I would take the Astros. And this Astros team, I think it almost went a little bit unnoticed just how good they were this year. 
in part because of everything happening with the AL East. And there's obviously a lot of focus on the White Sox and Tony La Russa and how that was going to work out. This Astros team, I mean, this offense was was vicious all year long. And their pitching staff, I think, is underrated. The Astros led the majors in scoring this year. Not the Blue Jays, not the Dodgers, not the Giants, not the Yankees, not the Red Sox, the Astros. This was the most prolific offense in baseball. This is going to be a great, great series. One thing that I do think is a factor here, the White Sox, for whatever reason, have not fared particularly well on the road. And that's why I thought getting home field advantage was going to be very, very important for them. They didn't do that. They went 40 and 41 away from guaranteed rate field this year. Now they don't have home field advantage against an Astros team that plays very, very well at home. I think in a vacuum, I would pick the Astros to win it. I feel like I have to stick with my preseason pick, the White Sox, a little bit. But I think it's going to be a great series either way. I could see both teams winning this. I could see this being a clean sweep. I could see it being five dramatic games. Uh, There's just so much talent on the field, so many guys who can take over a game, and so many guys who can rise to the occasion. And I actually think from a pure entertainment standpoint – Aside from Dodgers-Giants, this is probably going to be the most entertaining of these division series. Oh, the other thing I'm going to love about it is, is that I, I just picked the Astros, but the White Sox have multiple guys on that team who could absolutely take over a short series. Mm-hmm. If you told me – I don't even know which guy to pick to say. If you told me that Tim Anderson took over a series, I go, yeah, that is completely and utter, utterly plausible. There are multiple guys on this team that you say – okay, in a short series, someone gets hot. I'm old. I can remember Will Craig taking over, you know, Will Craig, Will Clark taking over series. Will, there was a Will Clark-Mark race back and forth. That kind of thing can happen. The White Sox have a variety of candidates for players who could do that. It is going to be a fun series. But all four of these, again, I don't see a clunker. I don't see a series that I'm like, I can pay a little less attention to that one. Focus on the other ones. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. Just previewing Red Sox Rays real quick. What are you going to be watching for most in the series? So it is crazy to think that the Rays with a rotation that of guys who could not have been penciled in besides McClanahan at the start of the season necessarily – I think they have the advantage of starting pitching. I don't know how long these guys are going to go, but with Eovaldi having to go a little later in the series, I just, I, it would not surprise me for Shane Boz to go out there and just shove. It doesn't, I, I just talked about the value of experience, and now I'm talking about the, out of the other side of my mouth and saying Shane Boz has the experience that can be measured in a thimble as far as MLB experience, and it would not surprise me at all if he went out a la Matt Moore, you know, when he kind of did the same thing for the Rays years and years ago, where you have this young, really talented pitcher, and they just can't touch him for four or five, maybe even six, probably four or five innings, let's be honest, it's the Rays. They're probably not going to let him go six. But if you saw – and the relentlessness of the Rays offense. The thing about the Rays to me is there, is, there are no easy outs in a raised lineup seemingly at any time. I do think that there is a cumulative effect. If you say, why do the Rays seem to outperform the metrics of why what they should score? If you look at their on-base rank, their slugging rank and all that, you say, well, why are they scoring more runs? I do think that there is something, a cumulative effect when one through nine in your lineup are all players who can hit rather than one through six, two through seven something like that. What about you? Yeah, I mean, as we talked about, this Rays offense is very, very different than any offense they've had in recent years, just so much better. One thing that intrigues me a little bit about this Rays team is I actually think their bullpen this year is better and deeper than last year's bullpen. You still have Pete Fairbanks, but some of the guys they acquired, you know, JP Fireeyes and Lewis Head, these guys have been really good. Ryan Thompson was there last year, but he's been better this year than he was. Andrew Kittredge became an all-star this year. Colin McHugh's been really good. You know, last year they had a good bullpen, but you saw they kind of had to go to some guys that maybe you didn't feel as good about. You know, Aaron Sleegers, Oliver Drake got some innings. Ryan Sheriff was a big three, and then after you got past them, there were times where you're like, I don't know. I mean, Aaron Loop was effective against lefties, but I actually think this year's bullpen is just deeper and it'll help them a little bit given this year's starting rotation is much less experienced. Last year they had 
Snell, Morton, and Glasnow. They don't have any of them this year. I'll be curious to see how much the Rays do end up trusting Ryan Yarbrough and Michael Waka, um, the two guys with somewhat significant postseason experience. But if they go, obviously, McClanahan and Boz 1-2, if they go Patino game three, just how they handle these young guys, like you said, I'm assuming it will be a lot of five-inning outings, if that. But it's going to be exciting. Some high-octane arms, a lot of good young talent, and the Rays are the best team in the American League. I think everyone picks them to win, but... The Red Sox can bang, and anything can happen in a short series. I think anyone who suggests the Red Sox have no chance is, is kidding themselves. Um, this is this going to be a fun series as well, and, and there's history between these two teams as well. Again, the next, to me, there are, Friday, this Friday, the four games, that is about as enjoyable as it gets, where it is, it, it is like we had last weekend, where we had – so much baseball that mattered. The baseball matters even more this weekend. So I cannot wait. I know you can't wait because you're going to get to cover some of this in person. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Dodgers and Giants, when the series returns to LA on Monday, I'll be out there and then we'll see how the rest of it plays out. But in the meantime, it's going to be a great couple of days full of playoff baseball. Keep it here at Baseball America. JJ's got a couple more interviews with uh, some of the fans of the various teams, Dodgers and Cardinals from last night. Let's jump into them after this break. As we did yesterday, we're going to also get a little bit of the voice of a fan for this podcast, kind of hear what fans think of their team either winning or losing yesterday in a do-or-die game. So we're going to talk to Oklahoma City Dodgers broadcaster Alex Freeman, as well as Cardinals fan Tara Wellman. Hey, everybody. I am excited to be joined now by, we got a, we, we're doing the voice of the fans here, but this one's a little different. We're going to be talking to Oklahoma City Dodgers broadcaster Alex Friedman, who, who not only is, you know, ha, has a rooting interest in this series and rooting interest in the Dodgers, but also has a lot of insight because a lot of these players were Oklahoma City Dodgers at some point along the way. Alex, thank you for joining us. How, how are you feeling this morning after a very tense and taut uh, last night? Absolutely. I think like a lot of people, just relieved that a 106-win season does not end in one game. And to top it off, now you have a big showdown against the Giants. So it should be fun coming up starting on Friday. This is, uh, if you're not a Cardinals fan, I do believe that this is kind of what we wanted to see, which is a close game, not a blowout, not a game where it's over quickly. But at the same time, getting to see Dodgers versus Giants interdivision series I feel like that this is this is almost like if this was a movie this had to happen well it seems appropriate I think a lot of people who are just general baseball fans for just chaos and chaos alone wanted to see a game 163 between the two because that's awesome doesn't happen very often um, so now you'll get uh, up to five game 163s essentially and Speaking of that, yeah, last night was essentially a game 163. It was a wild card game, but it's one of those where it's it the season can literally in one inning, an entirety of a season can end. What was it like watching that as someone with a rooting interest in it? Like for me as a for myself, it was really enjoyable to not have a rooting interest last night because you could just enjoy the fact that this game could turn on any swing at any moment of the game. But what was it like watching it when you do kind of have a little bit more of a care of, of who pulls itself? Yeah. And I think, you know, you said at the top, I'm not the typical fan, of course. Right. Um, but for the Dodgers, we mentioned before, you know, you win 106 games um, and you have to play in the wild card game, which not ideal, but hey, it is what it is. Um, and the fact that, you know, they were able to, to get through it, even though they didn't play a great game, I think was maybe one of the more satisfying things that, you know, Max Scherzer doesn't go five innings. You still win. Um, you know, Trey Turner didn't have a great game, still win. Um, so it was, it was good to see, see them, you know, in a big spot against a team that history shows has sent them to a lot of playoff heartbreak to kind of exercise those demons in a sense against the St. Louis Cardinals and be able to, okay, we got one against the Cardinals this time uh, in a tight spot. And then, you know, it's one of those where, you know, they're in the ninth inning, Cody Bellinger steals second base. You're just thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe Taylor who's been struggling can just get a hit here. And then he hits a walk off. And I think it's like one of those where it just kind of gives you a huge shot of energy, especially if you're in the central or Eastern time zone 
and you're watching that game and it's either midnight or 1 a.m. or close to it. Uh, just, to, just a lot of fun to see the way it ended up. And I, I give a lot of credit to the Cardinals. You said like Scherzer didn't last that long. And I just felt like the Cardinals grinded out at bat after at bat after at bat. As I said last night, it's like the roles were reversed in terms of how those teams are offensively. Usually it's the Dodgers, the ones that just wear the pitchers down on the other side. And uh, it was the Cardinals last night. You know, they had a great approach there against Scherzer and, and really made him work and, and did not expand the zone much whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, you certainly uh, admire the approach that the Cardinals took because it was just you know a little over a month ago. He mowed them down in St. Louis with, with relatively uh, not a lot of sweat uh, that was poured out there. So, uh, yeah, credit to them. Uh, on the one other thing I've been asking on each of these little segments is, is and I, I'm really excited to ask it today, which is, OK, you know, the Dodgers, you've seen a lot of these players come through. What is something if you're for? For baseball fans who aren't Dodgers fans, who don't follow this team every day, day in, day out, what is something that they don't know that they should know or you think they should know about this Dodgers team? Well, I think when you hear a team like the Dodgers or maybe another L.A. team like the Lakers, you automatically think, well, they just go out and, and buy the best players on the market. And sure. There's a little bit of that right now that they were able to, you know, sign Mookie Betts to a long-term deal after they traded for him. Uh, they were able to acquire Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, but the core of this team is developed from within. And baseball people know that. But like you said, maybe the average person who is not a, a huge baseball fan and maybe just watches during the playoffs, you know, these guys were not uh, all free agents. These are guys who were developed from within. Uh, a Corey Seager, a Cody Bellinger, um, or maybe someone who was acquired early in their career and was able to take a next step with the Dodgers, like a Chris Taylor. Um, Kenley Jansen, of course, you know, began his career as a catcher in the Dodgers organization. So again, this is a core that this current front office said, hey, we're going to shift back kind of the way from uh, the opposite from how the previous regime did it. We're going to develop within. And so many of their key players are. And yeah, they're getting to the point where they're reaching arbitration and maybe costing a bit more in terms of salary. But uh, these were not guys who were just uh, the Dodgers were able to, to just kind of hand blank checks out to and, and build a super team. And you mentioned it, like Chris Taylor's, the Max Muncy's. It seems like the Matt Beatty's. I mean, there, there seems like there's guys every year who credit to those players, but also credit to scouting player development. They just get better. I mean, they improve. They are players who don't just say, Trey Turner shows up and you, the Dodgers can take no credit for the fact that Trey Turner is a great player. Trey Turner was a great player when he arrived. Max Muncy was Rule 5 eligible. Right, you know, bef right before he became what we think of as Max Muncy now. That was not a player who was seen as like, oh, this is going to be a, a cornerstone type guy. Justin Turner, for that matter, obviously yeah. was not at one point. Uh, okay, since I've got you, since you saw this team, the, the Oklahoma City team all year, I will put you on the a little bit spot. Who's someone coming up? Who's a who's a guy for looking ahead who's not uh, you know, it doesn't have to be the the next Corey Seeger or that, but Who's a guy that impressed you on this Oklahoma City team this year that you're like, oh, maybe not everyone knows about this guy yet, but he's going to be solid? Well, I'm going to kind of give a, a little bit of a unique answer because the two guys who impressed me the most, I think, to, to no shock of anyone, actually don't play for the Dodgers anymore. It was Josiah Gray and Cabert Ruiz, who are both That traded. makes sense. Um, but Ruiz, as I said throughout the course of the year, he went from a good offensive player to a force this year uh, in terms of the power production you know he went from a singles doubles and eh, occasional home run hitter to a doubles and home run hitter in a threat every time he stepped up to the plate and it was just apparent that he needed an opportunity somewhere else to, to play and grow in the big leagues and not by no fault of anyone's it, it did not appear it was going to happen in the near future for the Dodgers and and that's also like a moment last night and throughout the playoffs that's why you go out and get a Max Scherzer and a Trey Turner um, so I think Ruiz was definitely the most impressive player, still players that are within the organization. I really like Luke Rayleigh. You know, I had not seen him before. Of course, you know, he gets signed by the Dodgers out of college, traded the twins and comes back. 
Um, but this is a guy who, if you're just looking at him, you're thinking like, well, he's a bigger guy. He's, he's probably just, you know, kind of more of a three true outcomes guy. But this guy is super athletic, plays so hard. I mean, runs out every single ground ball, of course, has the power. Dodgers fans know he at that 472 foot home run in, in Colorado a few weeks ago. Uh, and just a great guy. And I think a guy who he's got potential, I'm not going to go out and say, you know, he's going to be in the next MVP, but uh, he certainly has the tool set uh, to, to be able to make, I think, an eventual impact in the big leagues. Last question I'll ask you is, is so, okay, now we have Giants Dodgers. What will you be looking at? What do you think is something to pay attention to in this upcoming series that will help determine kind of who moves on? Well, there's no secrets really between these two teams. Of course, they know each other very well from not only playing each other 19 times throughout the course of the regular season, but all the familiarity with the front offices, with Gabe Kapler and the other dugout. Um, so I think it's going to really be the game within the game. And of course, I think as people who are sitting on our couches watching, we're going to really kind of analyze and overanalyze every single move. Well, why did he do this? Why did he do that? Uh, I think that these teams, of course, are not shy about knowing that, hey, they're going to trust the information they have on hand. Um, so watching kind of the game within the game, how each team counters, uh, of course, we are still in an age where we're still playing under traditional National League rules in this game. And um, it really kind of made me think last night, if last night was not a winner-take-all game, how would Dave Roberts have managed it differently? And I think it would have been different, um, especially there in the, in the middle innings. And, and, of course, he had a bigger bench to use. So now that the teams are going to go back to regular rosters with a more even split between position players and pitchers, how are they going to do it? And at least uh, you'd hope, I think, from the Dodgers' side, Lamont Way doesn't come up in a big spot late in the game because uh, that guy always seems to come through. It, it, you make a great point, though. Like, if in that game, would Max Scherzer have pitched longer? He still has already over nine pitches. But is the decision easier when you realize, okay, we have a tough spot here and Scherzer's coming up in the next inning? So, okay, we're probably not going to pitch him any further anyway. So that being the case, does that kind of help influence the decision on, on how, you, how you line those middle innings up? And the Cardinals had the, a very similar decision on their hands, and they, they let Adam Wainwright bat with the go-ahead runner on with two outs there in the top of the six and came out after two batters in, in the bottom of the inning. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. And one more thing I want to add uh, is I think the player that I'm going to really be interested to see in this next series is Cody Bellinger. Um, quietly had a very good game last night. Uh, got on base a couple times, stole a couple of bases, uh, hitting at the bottom of the order. Just it, it's been a rough year for him. But with Max Muncy, uh, I would say likely out for this next series as well. Of course, we don't know quite yet. Um, you know, there's going to be more opportunity for Bellinger, which is a weird thing to say, you know, when you think about where he was a couple of years ago. But he doesn't have to be MVP Cody Bellinger at this point. He just needs to be a productive player and have games like he did last night, continue to bring good defense. And, uh, you know, he could just that alone, I think, could end up being a, a big difference because you've got one team who won 106 games, one who won 107 during the regular season. Like I said, it was 10 to nine in the in the regular season series. So it's going to be the little things uh, on both sides that ultimately, I think, give one team the edge over the other. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. The series that I think we've all been waiting for. Thank you for the time, Alex, and uh, and enjoy. I, I know you are coming off of. It's been great to be as busy after last year. It's great to be busy broadcasting again, but enjoy your off season. So thank you again for the time. Well, thank you, JJ. Appreciate you having me on. And now after we've talked Dodgers, we're also going to talk to hear about the Cardinal side of last night. And I appreciate that we get the voice of a fan, even after what's got to be a, a, a night that started fun and ended up with a very rough ending. If you're a Cardinals fan, very excited to be joined by Tara Wellman. Tara writes and also podcast at Birds on the Black. Tara, I'll start with, how are you doing this morning? You know, I'm better than I was last night. <laughs> it was a rough way to see this season. And even for a team that, look, let's be honest, a month ago, we didn't think they had any business being in this conversation. So even with that in mind, for the season to end that way, it was a, it was a rough one. It was a rough one. But with a night's sleep, a little bit of perspective, I think I'm doing all right. <laughs> I, I'll kind of dive into that. We'll go into the game last night, but 
that's a perfect segue here, which is, is that once you're removed from today, from last night, by a little bit longer, is this 2021 season? I, I, I'm looking at it from the outside. I kind of wonder if, like, I think this is one that, as a Cardinals fan, maybe it kind of has some, some pretty fond memories as opposed to even maybe some other seasons that went just as far, but the way they did it, the journey was not nearly as maybe as enjoyable as this one was. Is that a reasonable thought? Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting thinking back on this season because undoubtedly what people will remember about 2021 with the St. Louis Cardinals is a 17-game win streak, right? That's what people will remember, which is fortunate (laughs) for them because that was a blast. Everything that preceded that, not so fun most of the season. Look, the reality is this was basically an average team for most of the year that kept telling us they were better than average, that kept suggesting they could be more, that they had more in in them but they just didn't show it until right at the end. And and there were tons of injuries that uh, helped that along the way. I mean, if you look at the rotation that would have been had the Cardinals made it past a wild card game, uh, there's one guy in the Cardinals rotation today that started in the Cardinals rotation at the beginning of the year, the rest of them were gone or the rest of them had been replaced because guys came back from injury. Guys were, were, were not even with the organization anymore. It's wild. The journey that this team went on and, to tell you the truth, not a lot of it was very fun. (laughs) Not a lot of it was very enjoyable to watch. And, you know, it's, it's not the most exciting uh, to watch a team just struggle, just struggle to put the pieces together, struggle offensively, seemingly be completely lost in translation with whatever their hitting approach is. um, And to see the bullpen kind of rotate through guys that are struggling as well. So much of the season up until September, that's what we would have remembered about this team. And yet when you win 17 in a row, everyone seems to forget everything else that happened previously. <laughs> oh, so great yes, season. <laughs> yes uh, there will be some great memories of this team. Uh, some of those magical wins in that stretch that felt like, you know, these were not just teams that were kind of at the bottom of, the, of divisions that, yeah, okay, I get it, but they're beating, they're beating bad pitching or they're beating, no, these were the teams they had to leap over uh, or, def- or or hold off, I guess I should say, in order to get into that wild card game. So they were big games and big moments. And I've never seen uh, this Cardinals team or Cardinals teams in the past, um, you know, win all of the games that you felt like, well, two months ago, they were going to lose this. And then they just kept winning. So that definitely will, will stick out and be a highlight for, I mean, I can't imagine I'm ever going to see 17 games in a row again. It just doesn't happen. So you got to hold on to that, if nothing else. So that kind of leads into to last night, which is, okay, the Cardinals knew going into this. If you said over the course of a season, which is the better team, this Dodgers team, this Cardinals team, there's no debate. There's not a question. And it's not just, yes, there was a 17. It's not just the number of wins. If you just look at it, lineup, rotation, bullpen, all those things. But that said, Adam Wainwright goes out there and Max Scherzer goes out there. And by about the second inning, if if I was a Dodgers fan, I would be thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here comes one of those Cardinals moments where they're just going to do this and they're going to ruin our season. Did you get, you know, as a Cardinals fan, did you kind of get pretty optimistic in the early going there? I will say I'm sort of by nature a skeptic in these moments. I like to prepare myself for the worst so that then I'm not totally crushed by it when it happens, if it does. Um, And yet I couldn't help but be optimistic because of what we've seen Adam Wainwright do all season and because of the improvements this team has made in the last couple of months. Of course, we talk about September, uh, but they'll all tell you that really the changes started after the trade deadline. Some things started to fall into place. Guys started to figure some things out in the month of August. So knowing that those changes had happened, knowing that Adam Wainwright was having one of the best seasons he's had in several years, not just for a guy who's 40 years old now, but I mean, he's in the top tiers of like starting pitchers in baseball, not just for the Cardinals. You feel pretty good about that, knowing that the Cardinals have had some success against Max Scherzer, probably as much as anyone has success against Max Scherzer. And he wasn't quite looking his best in his last couple of starts. So yeah, you feel a little optimistic about the possibilities. And the way I was saying it yesterday is that I felt like 
this Cardinals team, as they had been playing as of late, had as good of a chance to beat the Dodgers as the Dodgers had to beat the Cardinals, which felt insane considering the five months previous. And yet I felt like that was a very realistic, not an entirely biased fan perspective of how the Cardinals stacked up against the Dodgers. And I think when you watch that game last night, that holds up. Now, the result notwithstanding, it was a pretty back and forth. Yeah. One one moment was going to make the difference. Adam Wainwright did everything that we expected Adam Wainwright to do. And, you know, in a lot of respects, so did the, the Dodgers pitching staff. Maybe Max Scherzer was a little bit less than what some people would have predicted or hoped or whatever the case may be. But it was pretty much the game we expected when you think about it in that way, that either team had a pretty much equal opportunity to come away as the winner of that game. So, okay. I, the thing that I'll ask follow up with that is, is when you look at the pen and how was Alex Reyes, the guy you wanted on the mound <sighs> in that situation? I was at home watching the game with my husband who happens to be a Cubs fan. So he was notably less sad By about the, the loss. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that you all make that work, kudos to yeah. you guys. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Um, but sitting on the couch, watching him with him and they were making a pitching change, pulling McFarland. Right. And I think my thought was if they go to Alex Reyes right now, they probably deserve to lose this game simply because not because of anything, you know, it's not a, a personal issue with Alex Reyes. I've been in Re the Reyes corner from years ago. Um, but I don't think he's been used particularly well since he started to have some trouble. Uh, I think it's something like 70% of inherited runners have scored on Alex Reyes this season. Not great to put no. him into a situation with an inherited runner. <laughs> I no. mean, the, the, the math doesn't really hold up. So no, I don't think Alex Reyes would have been my choice there. But the reality is the Cardinals didn't have a lot of other great options. And that's been one of the complaints about this team this year is that from a front office perspective, they haven't done a lot to really make the bullpen better. They've, they've done just enough to kind of maintain the status quo with TJ McFarland and Luis Garcia shuffling the pieces with uh, Giovanni Gallegos moving into that closer role. But when you use him in the eighth inning, my thought was, okay, I get it. Middle of the order. It makes sense. Use Gio there. Uh, and to be fair, he had a nail issue, was going to go back out for the ninth and then couldn't. Uh, which changed the plans again a little bit. But all of that to say, no, I don't think Alex Reyes made a lot of sense there based on what we've seen from him throughout the course of the season with the walks and the inherited runner scoring, but more specifically in the second half where he gave up a lot of home runs. When you look at his home run totals, most of those came in the second half. I don't think anyone felt great about Alex Reyes pitching in that situation. And I think if I'm being honest, that's why the loss hurt as much as it did. Not because it wasn't a possibility because I didn't see that, you know, a 106 win Dodger team could beat this Cardinals team. Obviously we all knew that was, uh, that was on the table, but because this loss looked so much like early losses, that's what made it sting a little bit more. And, you know, you hate that to be the, the final thought going into the off season for Alex Reyes. So I, the other thing I got to ask with that is, is, as a non-Dodgers Cardinals fan, last night was really fun. Last <laughs> night was really enjoyable. Went a little long for someone who has a kid who has to go to school. And so I'd be a That's seven, fair. That's but, fair. But, but it was really fun. As a fan with something riding on the game, a rooting interest, was that fun last night? Or was that maddening? Was that, you know, was it yes to all of it? Or, but what was that like watching that? Knowing, especially when you have a game like that, as you said, knowing in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, at any moment for either team, the next pitch could be the one that basically determines the game. You know, I think the maddening part was watching the Cardinals go 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. It's not a great way to win games. No, I don't no. care who the starting pitcher is. Um, you know, you watch your two, three, and four hitters have one hit on the night. Not great. Not great. That's the maddening part. I think I kept reminding myself and you know how it is. You watch baseball because you love baseball, but also when you talk about it on podcasts or write about it, you have to kind of switch that analytical part of your brain on a lot. 
but in this game, I kept finding myself really drowning in the fan part of my brain <laughs> um, because it was so intense. And because, you know, it, it's always that question of, well, how, like you asked, how do you think of this season after the fact? Did the 17 game win streak matter? Did it mean anything if you don't make it past this game? So of course you, you see the way that things are developing, you know, it's going to be a, a close one. And as a fan, you kind of get caught in the emotions of the moment. So in that regard, it wasn't the most enjoyable game for me to watch because <laughs> I, I had more of a vested interest in that outcome than a lot of the games I watched earlier in the summer where it was just kind of like, yeah, okay, I'll watch, but they're not great. So it's, it's not like I have to get real worked up about it, whether they win or lose. This one obviously felt a little bit different and knowing that the postseason history with the Dodgers and the Cardinals, it, it always feels a little bit more intense because there are those memories from past uh, experiences there as well. So I, I can't honestly say it was particularly fun in the moment, but I, I, I completely understand that idea of taking a step back and, and seeing it from just a baseball fan perspective. What a game what a game and what a moment to end it on. I mean, that's what you hope for in those wild card games, unless you actually care about who wins. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. For again, it was the perfect game. And I actually, I think I tweeted this last night and there was multiple people. It's like, yeah, I'm so glad that I don't have like my happiness for tonight writing on which right. of these teams <laughs> wins because that's what made that green, that game. Great. I, it, it is one that, the other thing that stands to me though is is like if will because it's Yankees Red Sox Yankees fans and Red Sox fans will remember what happened in the 2021 wild card game for that reason but there are wild card games that every year that we just kind of cast aside and will not remember we will remember not just as a Cardinals or Dodgers fan but that that game will be remembered as oh remember when that happened because it was that good of a game well and those are the games that when you win right at the end, I mean, even thinking back to the last Cardinals World Series, right? You have David Freeze moments, you have Lance Berkman moments, you have those moments that make that game spectacular. If we all think back about game six in 2011, that was actually a terrible game up until like the eighth <laughs> inning uh, on both sides. I mean, it was not clean. It was messy. It was, it was not a great game, but that's not what we remember from it. We remember the excitement of how it ended. So to have a really well-played game in terms of pitching and defense, not so much in terms of offense, but you can credit a lot of that to both pitching staffs for, for keeping guys um, off balance at the plate to then have a well-played, well-matched game and just as with just as much excitement as some of those other games that are a little messy and end up exciting right at the end. You know, baseball can't really ask for a, a whole lot more than that, except for, like you said, maybe happen a little quicker, <laughs> a little quicker. <laughs> yeah. but, that, but that was also part of it was, I mean, part of why this game took so long is the reason that the decisions on Wainwright and Scherzer were happening as early as they did was both teams were grinding out uh, massively long at bats, yeah. which also slows the game down. Although yeah. that, that double switch, the, uh, the pitching change coming out of the, uh, when McFarlane came in, uh -huh. I understand the mechanics of it, but man, that coming at midnight where it's like, Oh, we come back from the inning. Oh, by the <laughs> way, let's go to a commercial break because there's a pitching change that made me want to pull my hair out for a pace yeah. of game. Yeah, no, I understand that completely. And when that happened, I actually sort of missed what the issue was with Gallegos. And I'm not sure it was really confirmed until afterwards that it was a, a nail issue for him that kept him from coming back out. But the gamesmanship there a little bit, you know, oh, we, we left him out there because we knew they'd burn a pinch hitter and then made the switch. So they'd use a different. Yeah, that all gets a little tedious sometimes, yeah, understandably, but, but tedious. <laughs> but well, last question, I because I've kind of asked these a little out of order, but we've, I've enjoyed the conversation we've done this way. But as a Cardinals fan, what is something that non-Cardinals fans probably don't know about this team? Like mm. if they haven't been some people who haven't been watching every game of the 17 game winning streak, and <laughs> every disappointing game of April, May and June. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I am sort of inclined to say, no, Adam Wainwright doesn't actually hate the people at Fangraphs, uh, <laughs> much to the chagrin of people who thought that was a, a good story to run with yesterday. Adam Wainwright is um, 
the guy who often speaks tongue-in-cheek to the media and anytime he can lighten the mood or say something that'll get a laugh out of people that's typically what's happening when you hear something that you're like that that sounds odd I can't believe he would take that seriously he doesn't (laughs) it's not serious um but I would also say uh, watching this team there's always I feel like the Cardinals are that team that people are like wait there's personality on this team um and it often comes from very interesting places that you probably don't see if you're not watching them 162 games a year. And this year, surprisingly, uh, it came from two guys that were not core pieces of this team all season. Um, I think Harrison Bader is the obvious personality on the team, but I would say that TJ McFarland is hilarious. Um, and Lars Newtbar, yes, uh, Lars Newtbar is a real life major league player. Yeah that some people don't realize um is also quite quite the entertainer uh so if you're looking for personality on this team sometimes it comes from those smaller characters on the team the smaller roles but Lars Newtbar and TJ McFarland they actually did a joint interview on the field for the regional uh station for Bally Sports after they clinched a postseason spot that joint interview was one of the most entertaining things I've seen all year. So if you get a chance to talk to Lars Newbar and or TJ McFarland, that's where you should go. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for the time. Uh, you know, condolences on last night, but uh, I, I hope you have a, uh, you know, a, an enjoyable off season and uh, can enjoy the rest. The great thing is, is now you can enjoy the rest of the playoffs like I do, which is, is just enjoying good games and not having to, uh, you know, have any stress or any, you know, stress that, that comes with it. So thank you for the time. Thank you so much. And just as a side note, thank you for all the work you've done on, on the minor league front, writing about their stories as well. That's something that's very near and dear to my heart. So it's good to see those stories being shared as well. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. So Dan, again, we appreciate you for the download. We appreciate you listening to the Baseball America podcast. We're going to keep these playoff podcasts going. I'm not going to be on the one tomorrow, but I'll be back on Monday. So, so long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.